Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today on the show, I have Raj Shankara. In his first work for the public, former monk Raj Shankara offers the readers a dynamic how-to for becoming a powerful adult. Everything is Your Fault combines Raj's journey from drug-selling thug to Hindu yogi with thought-provoking teachings that show the reader their opportunity for spiritual growth. Having lived as a monk for 12 years, Raj is now back in in society as a world yogi, teaching others how to control their mind, body, and emotions. Raj is currently a meditation guide, award-winning writer, author of four books, self-development mentor, online coach, fitness and health expert, and business owner. Everything is Your Fault is a powerful transformation of hope. When one of us transforms, we all do in our own way. Welcome, Raj. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, everybody. If you haven't had a chance yet to find me on Fireside, you can find my the link in my Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins, and then head out over to Fireside. Fireside has been an awesome platform. I'm really enjoying the opportunity to interview my guests live and have audience participation. So if you, um, you can find the link in my bio on Instagram, you can follow me at fireside.com backslash Amy Robbins. Um, lots of ways to find me there and just join the conversation. You'll get alerted anytime I start a show. So head on over, check that out. Also, my Patreon page is up and running. A big thank you to everybody who has donated so far. I'm extremely grateful for your support. If you could donate, I would continue to be grateful for anybody who is able to contribute to supporting the show. And if you can't financially support the show, all I ask is that you maybe take a few minutes and rate and review the show if you love it, and also share the show with your friends and family who you think might be interested. This is, I believe, our way of collectively raising the consciousness of the planet, which is something that we definitely need right now more than ever. Also, you can find me on YouTube if you want to watch the videos. Follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. And of course, my newsletter, Dr. Amy Robbins at um, Dot com where you can sign up for that, which I which I have not been great about, but I promise I'm actually not going to make a promise, but I'm going to really, really try harder to be better about my newsletter. I was consistent for a while and then summer hit and I decided I was going to take a little vacay. So summer's over and I'm going to be back at it. Enjoy this week's show. Thank you for being here. So You decided in one instantaneous moment to turn your life around. And that was pretty shocking to me. So tell us about the moment where you just decided you were going to, you were going to take a completely different path. Right. Um, I'm very fortunate that I noticed um, the moment that the universe was kind of giving me I was pulled over uh, by a police officer one night uh, coming home from a large um, drug shipment pickup. (laughs) It's funny to say it out loud. Um, And I was basically 
um, I guess you could say I was eligible to be incarcerated at that moment. Um, all the all the cop needed to do was uh, just open the back door, open the trunk, and um, it, I would have been uh, done with, basically. Uh, no contest. Um, what did you have in the car at that time? Uh, my trunk was full of weapons and um, uh, large amounts of marijuana, uh, cocaine, um, and I think I had small amounts of test batches of uh, mushrooms and ecstasy. Um, and ecstasy is tough. Each one of those pills is, I believe, a count of manslaughter. Um, wow. Yeah, I actually know someone who went went away for having a big jar of them. So our neighborhood was known for that kind of stuff. So it was actually kind of normal um, to come to come up as a drug dealer uh, in the south suburbs of Chicago. Uh, so I was just kind of playing out that role um, as a teenager. And so uh, this is the first time, though, I had actually been stopped in the middle of the night um, and pulled over with this much kind of material on my persons. And I'm sitting outside after the police officer asked me to get out of the car and go by the trunk. Um, I'm sitting outside, I'm looking at his canine unit um, who was obviously detecting everything in my car um, and barking. And, and uh, you know, he asked me, uh, can I search you? And can I search your car? And can my dog search you? And can my dog search your car? And I said, sure. You know, I had basically from the walk, from the driver's seat to the trunk, uh, from those 10 steps or eight steps, um, I basically gave up all desire of lying or uh, any kind of, uh, intention of getting away. I was basically, uh, I let go of everything and I kind of took some responsibility and I said, okay, my life's over. I get it. I did this. I almost wanted this to happen. Um, let's, let's get it over with. Basically let's get it over with was, was what I was thinking. And so, after asking me for uh, permission to search me, which uh, he really didn't even need, um, the police officer uh, just looked at me for about eight or 10 seconds. And even looking at someone for like five straight seconds is a long time, especially someone of authority. And he uh, put his flashlight um, back in its holster. And he said, I trust you. And he walked away into his car and drove off. Um, so that How old was, were you? How old were you? Um, was I 18? So if you okay. would have, if he would have opened your trunk, your life would have been over as you know it. You would have gone to jail. Yeah. Pri first, prison. First, I would have been processed um for in uh indiana and then i would have been taken back to cook county uh in um chicago where i where i picked up everything 
because I crossed state lines with with everything. So I would have been processed there that night, and then I would have been taken to jail in Illinois. And then from jail, I would have waited, uh, awaited a court case, and then I would have been probably taken to a prison in Chicago, in, in the cornfields of Chicago. Hmm. So, um, yeah, and that would have all happened very easily because uh, I was way past the limit of what's allowed to be considered a minor offense. Um, it would have been a felony. Um, so, and month, of, let's see, was it a few months before me, maybe six months before my partner uh, in, in, in selling um, also, he, he went to prison. So I was like a one man show mm -hmm. and um, they would have just connected the dots and um, everything would have been worse probably. Wow. Yeah. So, which was, I accepted that it all ran through my mind all at once. And I think, I think I'm, uh, I could have easily thought I'm so lucky. I can I can now continue on this downward spiral, but I sat there looking around, kind of high from this uh, slap in the in the face, um, and thought, "Wow, you know, I can actually start over, and I will start over," and I did start over the next day. Um, I uh, basically went through a, a, a transfer of, of ownership. Um, I guess I could have thrown everything away and stuff like that, but I didn't. I was, I was, I gave, mm -hmm. I gave everything to a, a subordinate of mine and um, told them I was stopping. It would have looked awkward if I had just given up. So I sort of quietly transferred ownership of everything. Um, and I, I cleaned up my act. Um, I vowed never to break the law. I vowed to give back to society. Um, and then shortly after that, I started a company, an asphalt company with a friend mm -hmm. of mine. And from there, the story continues of um, actually uh, becoming a decent human being. <laughs> so, so can you, because that's pretty remarkable. I mean, usually you hear about transformations taking time and people making decisions and there being a backslide or, you know, whatever it is. And for you, sure. it was just a straightforward trajectory. Oh yeah. Well, I am an all or nothing kind of person. I either do something and master it hundred percent in, uh, or I, uh, I don't bother. So I think it was just my nature. Uh, and I'm still the same way. Um, if I decide I'm going to do something, I'm like overnight, it's like I've been doing it for 10 years. Uh, yeah, so I think it's kind of in my nature. So tell us what life, so you ended up be, becoming a monk in a monastery. Yes. What does that life look like? And, and why did you choose that life? I mean, there was something about it when I was reading the book that sounded somewhat like the army in a lot yeah. of ways, what I envisioned yeah. the army to be like. I've not been in the army. Uh -huh. um, but just that like st intense structure, 
and expectations and like not a whole lot of room for missteps. And I guess I didn't expect it to be like that. So can you give us a little insight into what the life of a monk is like and sure. what, what goes on inside a monastery? Yeah. And that's a normal um, uh, visualization and, and unexpected, very normal to not expect that. Because I was in an institution that was developed, you know, part monastery, part um, like Navy SEAL Academy, basically. So tell me a little bit, talk to me a little bit about this, this notion of everything is your fault, because that's, mm-hmm. that's a really provocative title. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people would, uh, would, would say, well, no, it's actually not. Like someone mm-hmm. who suffered a horrific tragedy or experiences that weren't their fault. And so what do you say to those people? And, and what is it about taking responsibility that you feel like helps transform? Because I think that's sort of what you were getting at is like just taking responsibility, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, that, that's as, absolutely correct. Um, and you have to appreciate all of those levels, those perspectives, because, well, and the, the teaching itself of responsibility is not meant for everyone all the time, right? So, you know, you cannot, and I learned this from my, my guru very early on, you cannot go up to someone who just lost a family member and say, hey, you know, it's karma, man. Um, you have to enter into someone's pain through different levels and maybe a year after the traumatic event you can you know as the emotion subsides somewhat and the 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 colors in their in their memory banks fade a bit uh you can say okay so let's talk about the philosophy of life and what we believe in and and why all of this may maybe happen and then maybe you can introduce karma and, and and responsibility and things like that and how we can move forward but um so I, I came up with that uh, idea in the monastery when I realized that I was um, my own worst enemy, basically, mm-hmm. right? I was a narcissistic monster. When I went into the monastery, um, I, I wanted to achieve things. I wanted to be a spiritual being, but I didn't know anything. I didn't even know that I was difficult to work with. I didn't know that I made other people's lives more challenging just by communicating with me mm. or lack thereof, like poor communication skills, right? So it hit me um, after about four years of working with um, a team in the monastery every day, uh, working with some amazing individuals to, to, to recondition me and say, you know, they'd have, they had to sit me down over these over years and say, you've got this hard shell from the world and we're trying to kind of break mm. some of that down and get you to uh, self-reflect and look at yourself. So for someone like that, for someone who is egotistical, narcissistic, um, monstrous, that person needs to get hit over the head with a responsibility check. And, and yes, everything is your fault. You're making other people's lives worse. Stop it. Right. Right. Now, for someone with trauma, I still 
believe that there's a responsibility teaching in there. For example, and I've had I've had a few years to kind of bounce this philosophy off people. And on my podcast, Man in the Making, we have on people who've gone through extreme challenges. I mean, challenges is not the right word. Mm-hmm. Uh, horrific trauma is a better phrase. Um, like one of our episodes with a woman, Jessica Kramer, who was sexually abused from uh, preteen to high school within the family mm-hmm. and threatened uh, at gunpoint during high school, d- during years of high school sexual abuse. Mm. Um, so that is another situation where we have to look at the person after the trauma. Mm-hmm. And this woman um, ha- is an amazing person living an amazing life teaching people that they're responsible for what happens after the fact. Yeah. Right. right? Do you let the person win by keeping them in your psyche, keeping the poison of what happened in there? Or do you liberate yourself, go from victim to survivor to thriver um, and truly liberate yourself? And, and, and uh, you know, and now she has compassion for the terrible people, you know, in her family who were obviously mentally disturbed and going mm-hmm. through their own mm-hmm. uh, horrific mm-hmm. things from mm-hmm. their upbringing. So that is another level of compassion uh, oh and understanding God. and empathy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, and look, these people like that are superheroes. It's just, and part, you know, you know, partly why uh, we interview people like that um, and why I recommend to students to read about trauma is it, it gives you another perspective. Like, hey, um, some people have really gone through hell. So that's important to know about. And it's important to keep talking about so that you can bounce your own story off. Um, it's like measuring your pain on a level of pain. And while everyone goes through their own um, experience uh, and you don't want to compare yourself to other people necessarily, mm-hmm. right. there, is a, there is a level of um, perspective uh, uh, taking, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and seeing where you level up, like where you measure up um, to other experiences uh, so that you can start recovering as soon as possible. Because if, if, if you've never heard Jessica Kramer's story and you're an individual who's been uh, broken uh, from horrific trauma, um, you're worse off, right? So, so exposing yourself to other people in, in that same situation who, who have since uh, bloomed into an entirely different person, um, well, that's, that's powerful. And, and, and I, I talked to her about the book and, you know, she helped me with some of my doubts, like, Oh my God, how, you know, what am I saying here? And she goes, she said the same thing. You know, it's, it's, um, if you had told me that, you know, in high school, right. Like that wouldn't have made sense, mm-hmm. but but she was able to 
change because she realized that she actually had the power now and to not give that that power away uh, psychically mentally psychologically spiritually on all levels right mm -hmm. physically um that that she's now in control and that's what the book is trying to help people with in a sense control we're in control once we're responsible so before we wrap up here because we just have a few more minutes can you tell me your perspective on meditation and then i wanted you also you talk about this in the book explain the concept of touching in for the practiced meditator and when you get to the point where you're considered a practiced meditator oh yeah that's those are good questions thanks so so uh the first one what is my it's what is my perspective on meditation okay so my perspective on meditation is uh i'm uh, you know i'm trained to understand meditation from um our our lineage of monks which uh taught that meditation is the restraint of mental activity nothing more nothing less so what is mental activity? Well, it's fivefold. So it's it's correct knowledge, incorrect knowledge, sleep, fantasy, and memory. Okay, so what's important about that is I'm very long-winded, so I apologize. <laughs> um, that that those five things make up life. If you go back in your memory right already you've hit one of the things and you think about your consciousness and where it's been it's it's either been thinking it knows something correctly thinking it knows something incorrectly or erroneous knowledge uh, it's been you've been sleeping uh remembering something and fantasizing right so if we close that off we're left with meditation which is uh to be you know discovered by the meditator to, to go beyond that and say you'll experience this this and this is basically a spiritual malpractice it's it's depends on the the dedication of the student that's that's my i guess my basic meditative uh perspective um touching in is a great phrase i absolutely love that phrase um i, I don't did i say that in the book or that's your phrase I said that in the book. I don't think I'm going to take credit for that one. Even though you <laughs> love it, I'm going to give you the credit. I okay. didn't. I didn't come up with that. So, so touching in to me, I learned this from another monk uh, who now lives in San Francisco, an amazing person uh, named Kashi Sentilnava. Touching in is uh, when you know that I'll answer both questions at the same time. That's when you know that you're an advanced meditator. Um, usually in meditation, we have to have several layers of practice before then to, to actually get to the meditation, which are attention and observation. And that's paying attention to your breathing, right? Watching your thoughts. Maybe it's all these cliche mm -hmm. practices. So those are steps to kind of get in the back door of the mind and get inside yourself. Um, because if we just tried all of a sudden, the mind would take that opportunity to flood you with something important or trivial it, it doesn't care so when we can touch in and we can actually skip over some of those steps and go straight to 
restraining mental activity, restraining the five activities, then we know we've made some progress um, as a as a practitioner, and uh, the amount of preparation we focus on on a day to day basis can be drastically reduced. So we can actually spend more time in meditation as opposed to uh, preparation. So this sounds like a bit of a different take on meditation as well. Perhaps. What would you what would you be referring to? Well, well, I just this this feels a bit more. Um, I don't know, maybe restrictive in some ways. Like it almost feels like there's a right way and a wrong way to meditate. Oh. Yes. And so I, in my experience, I feel like there is no right and wrong way to meditate. It's okay. like the, the, the notion of just sort of sitting quietly and trying to quiet your mind, attend to your breath, observe your thoughts, not connect to them is yeah. and however that happens, like it's not it's not, you know, sometimes when I sit in meditation uh, my mind is bouncing off the walls, right? It's like, oh, there's, I need to make dinner tonight. What are we going to have for dinner? I forgot to sign my kid up for that activity. Of course. Um, the sun is on me right now. That feels really good. <laughs> oh shit. I'm supposed to be meditating. This isn't meditation. Like it's that <laughs> sort of beautiful waterfall of thoughts. And it's yes. the, you know, when I, when I get to the thought of, oh no, I forgot to sign my kid up for the you know, their, their program or whatever, it's not doing anything about that. It's just observing that that's my experience in that moment. Yes. And, and I, you're hundred percent right. Um, I'm, I'm, I was trained as a, so if you look at, um, like a weekend runner versus an Olympic athlete, right. They probably have different perspective on what it means to, to be a successful runner. The Olympic athlete needs to think in, in milliseconds and, and dedication on a day-to-day -day basis for hours a day. Um, a weekend or part-time runner uh, looks at much different milestones over a much different span of time. Mm -hmm. And that's because they're just not, they're neither one is right or wrong about running. They're just talking about it from different perspectives. My perspective is definitely one of a restrict of a restrictive nature, purist nature, orthodox, uh, because I was trained by using the same example. I was basically trained by Olympians in the field of Eastern philosophy. But is that not connected to ego then? Like, how oh, do you I everything guess, is connected to ego? Yeah, I guess that's my question. If if how do you kind of um, remove ego from we have to be the best meditators that there are because well, then, then it's based in ego and not in like, I'm perfectly happy being a weekend running meditator. Like that's right. That's good. I'm good with that. Like I don't need to be the Olympic meditator. Exactly. So there's no comparison here and there's no best uh, um, I wouldn't use that language when I talk about meditation. So when, if let's say I'm going to teach meditation, um, I'm going to first find out who I'm teaching. I'm not going to just go into a meditation full of a room, a room full of people and say, all right, here's what's going to happen and what we're going to do. 
if I, I have to first say, okay, I'm going to hold an advanced meditation class. We're going to use this technique and this is exactly what's going to happen. If we're going to be in a beginner meditation class, I'm probably not going to touch into meditation. I'm probably going to touch into let's just sit, pay, you know, pay attention to our mind, see what's going on. How do we feel? Does our leg itch? And just work through. So there's got to be different levels so that mm -hmm. we can have a conversation so that we can communicate. If I'm sitting in front of a beginner and just keeping my personal favorite technique, well, I wouldn't be uh, a very versatile teacher, but I am. I was trained that way and um, I can teach any level of uh, for anyone. Um, is one way better than the other? No, it's just one thing in the end. It's all a progression uh, to um, advanced meditation, which is restricting the mental, the five mental activities. And uh, there's nothing wrong with what you're saying. Um, that's not worse than what I do when I meditate. Mm. It, we're doing the same thing, but we're just on different timelines. So what goes on in your mind when you meditate? You nothing. don't, nothing, not no. like nothing, like just quiet. I was trained to bypass the mind. So the mind is a self-creating mechanism. Mm -hmm. It's designed to create, preserve, destroy, conceal, reveal. Um, and it's just ongoing on its own energy system. Uh, it doesn't need you. Okay, so that means that we're two different things all, all of a sudden. So I'm not my mind. So if I'm not my mind, then there's me, then I'm something else. So what is that? And in meditation, we want to go through a process. If we want to figure that out, uh, if we want to lower our blood pressure, that's different. If we want to go and figure out how do I touch into who I really am, then I have to learn through systematic and methodical practice to bypass the distractions and the creations that the mind is, uh, is, is trying to produce. And if I can do that, well, then I can, I can go to, to uh, different levels of myself. And that's a very addictive thing. It's very special too. Hmm. Got it. Okay. So, so really the ultimate aim is to silence the mind in that way to deepen. You look at us to deepen your understanding of yourself. I'm wondering where consciousness fits into all of this, like in deepening your understanding of yourself, are you then raising your conscious awareness? Well, So I believe that everything is consciousness. Can you, you cannot affect consciousness. You cannot deepen. There's nothing to deepen. Consciousness exists. Enlightenment exists. The soul exists. Um, everything is perfect. All at, at this moment, there's no, there's no real maturation going on. What's going on is that we are removing things that are in the way right like ego. okay we are so ego is this fabric of reality blocking us 
from pure consciousness. What we're getting is a diluted form of consciousness, like having an air conditioner pump out cold air, but the filter is full of debris. So you're only getting particulates of debris and, and half cooled air, right? Mm-hmm. So I believe people are walking around um, as this partial version of themselves. But that doesn't mean this 100% pure, perfect being isn't there and it has to be developed. That, that being is there already. And what they need to do is take out the filter, clean it up, put it back in and, and go from there. And they'll be getting that cool air as they should have been the whole time. Um, and, and I, I believe that is just, a, that's a Hindu concept of, of spirituality. That's, I mean, we're really breaking down how, what I believe in, in life and death and, and consciousness. And, and that is certainly what I've come to not only believe in based on faith, but also based on experience. And then to touch in quickly, as you, you importantly said, is that the goal? Is that the final goal of meditation? And, and really, um, well, final- goal and meditation sort of shouldn't run hand in hand, right? Cause I guess that goes against to have a goal in meditation feels counter to meditation. Very true. Having a concept takes you away from a conceptless space. So, so yes. And to say that, is that the goal or, or anything? Um, it really depends on the person, you know? Um, I think as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, we, we, I was trained in an elite field of, of, of thinkers and, and I think some of the world's greatest yogis. But can but even, I use... isn't isn't that even counter? Doesn't that run counter? Like elite field of yogis seems to me to run counter to what it means to be a yogi, which is not elitist at all. Well, elitist is 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 it depends on who you're speaking to if it's elitist or not. If you ask them, what if they're if they're powerful and effective and and elite, they would say no. But I'm telling you as an observer, right? As a student. Gotcha. And I believe that changes things. I believe that changes um, perceptions. And I, and I don't think that has any effect on their own ego because they're not the one saying it. I am. You you, like um, it's important to agree. And and I like that you're bringing that up and and, and pushing on that because that is good. That is important. And and we we need distinctions. In my opinion, we need definitions because if we don't agree on certain values, then we will never be able to communicate and have an effective conversation. Mm -hmm. We'll actually just be on two different levels and disagree but if i so if i'm going to listen to a medical advice from someone and i have my pick of doctors where am i going to then secondarily look deeper uh as to which is the better doctor right so i would choose the doctor that went to the better school is that necessarily making one doctor better no not at all but it's certainly a good place to start. So if I'm a student of yogic philosophy um, and I'm looking to achieve very high standards of yoga, 
um, I'm going to look for the best, most renowned teachers there are. Right, which I totally, totally can appreciate. And I'm trying to understand the social, the, the construction of this all mm -hmm. and how we're trying to like deconstruct while also setting up a framework for people to like, not just, you know, go to any person who says I'm a meditation teacher, right? A hundred percent. That's like the, that's the adventure that we're all on. And we call that being and becoming. We're gotcha. on this, okay. we're on this balance pole where we're like, I'm trying to lose myself, but at the same time, I need someone to do that. And I need that someone to be pretty good at it, at losing themselves, who's done it before. And I need to be really good at this, but also not be good at having an ego about it. So should I think that I'm good at it? Or should I tell people that I'm good at it? Or just be good at it and never get anywhere? <laughs> and then there you are in a monastery for 12 years, right? Like, that's the cycle. I mean... Should so, I leave? Should I stay? What does it mean to leave? How do I stay? How do I, how do I define my staying versus leaving? So I have found <laughs> that in this awesome dance, um, it's not important. It's not beneficial to necessarily talk spontaneously about what you've done and, and, and reflect on it and, and think that it's, that it's a certain thing because you have to be watch the ego, right? Exactly like you're saying, if you're going to be a, a, a yogic practitioner, you are 24 seven looking out for the ego because it's going to come back. It's another self-creating mechanism because it's the uh, operating system and the mind is like the computer, but we're the user. So we have to always kind of run these virus scans to make sure that the ego is not coming back. And one of those ways is, to listen to our language and, and watch what we're saying and watch what we're thinking. Um, and so, you know, I don't, uh, you know, apply to uh, speak about these things. I wait for people to ask me. Um, I didn't even want to write the book. A student, you know, begged me to write it. And I, and, and I, I did it because I cared about them a lot. Um, so you have to find these different ways around the ego, right? Without it really knowing there's gotta be a surreptitious type advance, um, because we are wanting to get better and, and be better individuals while also not losing our decency and humility and compassion. And so uh, uh, that's what makes life really fun is that it's not so easy. It's a bit of a challenge. We take a few steps forward, one step back, and uh, we learn from each experience. And at the end of the day, you know, hopefully we can just relax, have a glass of wine and just laugh at ourselves. <laughs> that's a tricky dance, not the having a glass of wine and laughing, but the dance of, of ego and, and all of this. So Raj, thank you so much for your time and for you. kind of um, sparring with me a little bit today. <laughs> Bring it. <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work, if they're interested in becoming a monk? Um, 
going to live in a monastery, whatever it is, where can they find you? Uh, so uh, rajanshankara.com is like the hub of everything and Googling Raj Monk is actually probably sufficient <laughs> for social media and all that stuff. R-A-J Monk? Yeah. Oh, love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, doctor. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between.